Episode 18, ER Podcast, Digital Transformation. Digital transformation, that term is all over the internet when it comes to ERP software, cloud technology, business process improvement, and more. But what does digital transformation really mean? Here's the thing, every business transforms. There's a guy named Dan. Dan likes donuts. He learns to make his own donuts at home. Then Dan, when friends rave about his donuts, Dan transforms his hobby into a side business. And the side business begins to grow and it transforms into a full-time business. The home-based business transforms into a retail business and the donut making business by Dan transforms into the management of other people who are donut makers. Now, multiple locations mean the business transforms into a chain operation. Pretty soon, Dan has not actually made a donut himself in years. Now, Dan makes decisions, not donuts. Decisions aided by digital transformation. Everything Dan once checked on personally is, is recorded from a baker's dozen locations and it reports digitally. Apps lets Dan communicate specials to his customers. Apps lets customers select the dozen donuts they want and place the order long before they hit the drive-in window. Dan is in a digitally transformed world. Instant information, collated, combined, reported. Dashboards that spur orders for more double chocolate sprinkle surprise donuts because there's a run on them after a morning DJ ate one on the air. Data from point of sale systems, data on costs, connection with suppliers, integration with vendors. So what does this all mean for your business? <laughs> Even if you're not making donuts. Well, Dan the donut maker can do digital transformation because it's his company. Your company may be a little bit bigger already and you could assign your controller to kick off a digital transformation project or, or maybe the guy who's in charge of IT, it sounds like his bailiwick. I think he reports to the CFO, he knows about technology. The answer to all that, no, uh-uh, it's not happening. Digital transformation means the C-suite comes together, including the CIO, the chief information officer, or the, the CTO, the chief technical officer. What? You say you don't have a CIO? <laughs> you're gonna need to get one, and you're gonna need to get one now. You need someone who understands business and has a business background, as well as that deep technology understanding. Because we're not talking about a couple new servers and some new software. This is total digital transformation. Rethinking how you reach and react to your customers. This is an examination where we look at our business operations in total. We find out what's repetitive, find out what's simply overhead. What costs us all this money and time and we automate the crap out of that. We no longer care or prioritize backend data entry. As a matter of fact, we take an app and we play that forward and let the customer do our data entry and we just digitally manage the information. We need to look at our customers and how we serve them. We need to look at how we go to market and what we do when we get to that market. And if you don't have a CIO, then you're gonna need a fractional CIO. Someone you employ a fraction of their work on an as-needed basis. And today, we're going there. Bouchant Parikh, as we've introduced in past podcasts, has been a high-level player in companies like Avnet, Johnson Controls, Johnson & Johnson, Nike, and many others. His company, Get Digital Velocity, helps companies through digital transformation. We walked you through the digital transformation of fictional Dan's Donut Shop today. And later on, we're going to get into some real stories of real-life digital transformations for companies that are 
don't even make donuts. And today, we'll get you thinking about what digital transformation can do for you. Tomorrow, you can contact Profit from ERP or Get Digital Velocity, and we'll get together with you and start the planning process all together. Today, on today's episode of the ER Podcast. So welcome back with Sean. It's nice to have you here again on the ER Podcast. Thanks, Gene. I'm looking forward to our session number three. Today, let's, um, let's go into the history of digital transformation. So in the IT technology departments of the past, we've been rolling out systems for businesses for many years. And I remember a few years ago, uh, we got past that point. I mean, originally used to roll out a new system and then go into a maintenance mode. And that finally kind of evolved into a continuous improvement. So as one new system is deployed company-wide, we're already starting to configure and test the next system and, and it's headed to roll out. So, Bushan, when did we get to the point where we stopped being reactive and we started becoming proactive with digital transformation? So, Gene, businesses are evolving faster. They are reaction, they are they were reacting to their customer needs, but they want to be proactive to their customer needs. And this is the key. The technology itself has caught up, but the goal over here from a business's point of view is to evolve to the highest level of customer centricity and get focus on the customers to the point of saying that anything and any and every material action that happens in the company is in pursuit of customer centricity. Now, the technology, like I said, has already caught up and it's probably gone beyond where they were about 10 years ago. It can empower the business. And where we are at right now is the agile asset light technologies, which can continuously improve. Now, as we move into this, uh, we are basically using a new method of working, which is agile. So while we are rolling these systems out, we are not working in the waterfall manner anymore. We are actually working in the agile fashion, which is what we, what I would also refer to in a more simplified form as an iterative form of working. A continuous back and forth with the custom, uh, with the with the business folks, as well as with the customers, if the system is meant to be facing out to the customers. And it's not like a waterfall where you wait like six or eight months before even the first view of the system comes up. It's more like almost every week or every two days or three days, there is an interaction with the, with the consumers of the system that you're configuring or designing. That's how we got to this point. Now, of course, you have to understand the disruption we are facing with COVID is we have suddenly, it's like sitting in a car and somebody just floored the accelerator. And the car car is a turbo car. I mean, suddenly you get pushed back into your seat and it takes you a second to get your balance back. But now you're moving at twice or thrice the speed. Why? Because everything that was normal just went out the window. We were going to the we were going to work, not happening anymore. We're sitting at home. Uh, we the largest of the largest offices have already announced, like for an example, a Google or a Apple have already said, don't come back until June of 2021. But you know what? They were already digital. They know how to work without having to be in front of each other or without having to be in the office. 
But a lot of bricks and mortar companies were not capable of that. And they suddenly had to make that leap. Now, two things happened. One, they learned a new way of working. And second, call it a tube light or a light that came on in their head saying, wow, I moved from a bricks and mortar, sit in my office, have meetings face-to-face in a conference room mode to a virtual mode. And the people who did it for me did it in less than a week. What kind of tech, what kind of technologies are out there and what am I missing? Bushan, you know, you, you, you talk about, and I can see this happening in larger companies. I can see where you've got a lot of things rolling out and, and, and that type of thing. But for some of the smaller, mid-sized companies, they may put in one piece of software and then nothing for a couple of years. I mean, should that, should that be a red flag to how we're doing business today? Yeah. It is, a, it is a huge warning sign. I mean, when we say the word proactive, right? You use the word proactive instead of reactive. Now think about your customers and trying to be proactive for your customers. What, do, what would that mean? I mean, I'll, go, I'll fall back on my oh, I, example that I've given before. Being proactive is actually understanding or even anticipating the needs of your customer before they even realize it's a need knowing your customers well enough to see what they need today and what they may need tomorrow, or even giving them the ideas of what they may need. For an example, a customer who was carrying BlackBerry never knew they needed an iPhone. You know, they never even imagined a device that didn't have a keyboard. But somebody called Steve Jobs just came by and he just jumped three levels beyond where BlackBerry was. This is what you call a pure moonshot that went so far beyond anything anyone had ever imagined that they realized that, oh my God, I always needed this. This is so much better. Yeah, it didn't go well for BlackBerry, still at seven bucks a share. But Apple, Apple's the most uh, valuable company in the world today. So, I mean, Think about disrupting in that manner. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but when, when we say disrupting, you know, thinking about that in terms of some mid-sized companies, are they going to come in and disrupt the entire market? That sounds big. It sounds out of reach. It sounds expensive. Um, but, you know, the, the, the thing that we really need to think about is that first iPhone. It, it, was, it was pretty cool, but it didn't do everything that the second one and the third one did. And, and now we finally have a market that is just, controlled by the iPhone or whatever. So the disruption was kind of slow and gradual. The strategy, the digital transformation strategy coming from the top can be strategic, but for a lot of companies, it's a small thing. I mean, there's this little app that I use when I play golf and it, and it keeps my score and, and all my stats and things like that. And I got back home and there was a email in my email box how I could link that score to Facebook and brag to all my friends and it's just a small little thing for that company but they keep adding one more and one more and pretty soon they're dominating the little golf score on your iPhone type area yeah here's an example I'll give you which actually got me in trouble was uh, I was in India I have the Facebook app on my phone And 
they had put a new feature in and whenever they put a new feature in they leave you a little note which i didn't read and they leave the feature on by default which also i didn't realize so i came back to my hotel from another town i was tired i was supposed to go see my mom and i said mom i'm still in the other town i'll see you tomorrow morning well guess what my mom said to me she said i just got a facebook message saying you are a, you're one mile away from me oh, oh no and i'm like what feature was that again and i checked it was it was a feature that was informing everyone within a 5 mile radius who is a facebook friend of mine that i'm in that area oh and we didn't see that one coming so talk about getting caught in a lie without for not realizing where the, where the technology is headed right well, i guess you got to sure. to be ready for the law of unintended consequences and get more than one person looking at it i mean you weren't ready for that no, were you but you know what these are the kind of things we is what you call out of box thinking um could it could it be that you know uh imagine a erp system where you set limits on certain amount of inventory which you know is critical to your manufacturing process as soon as that inventory level is reached it sends out emails to three different suppliers to tell them to send you quotes so you, even before you think about it the e, uh, the system has already gone and gotten you quotes or the system so system sends you an email and says okay three of your quotes are ready because your inventory level has reached this level and you know you're in a competitive uh space because you got three different quotes from three different companies now those are the kind of things we are looking at and that's how we want to work i mean i'll give you another example which actually we are using in uh, erp now uh enterprise resource planning systems is where we are not monitoring the applications or the infrastructure side of the erp we are actually monitoring the business side so there is a for an example um say i mean i'm working in a chocolate factory um and there is a shipment of chocolate that is supposed to get pallet loaded onto a truck and the truck is supposed to depart the gate at 4 p uh, 4 am and if at 3 am the pallet loading hasn't started by say 3:15 a email message is sent out as a warning along with a page to the people who could action such a thing if there is a disruption saying that your pallet loading hasn't started and you're already 15 minutes behind the schedule all right again now we're starting to talk about incremental improvements in someone's business using digital in in new ways coming up with new ideas that helps the business run smoother it's not an overwhelming disruption of an entire industry or segment it's something that the average business can put into play and systematically approve improve what's going on in the four walls of their business and and, and even move forward from there do you have more specific examples of of uh, projects that you guys have done yeah i mean i'll give you a couple of examples we are working actively on a couple of projects which is to do with a private equity company that is going about their business by acquiring either standalone or portions or what we call carve outs from other companies now sometimes these carve outs can be very big or very small and they can come with their own systems or they won't come with any of their own systems so we have to think from end to end when we because we are their fractional cios at this point in time and of course transition services agreement is for 12 months so that's your runway and now we got to finish setting up 
let's say, pretty much entire IT for them from ground up. And I'll tell you one thing, this has opened up my eyes in multiple, multiple different ways. I mean, yes, I was familiar with multitude of ERPs out there. I was familiar with multitude of, uh, you know, office packages, open source systems and all that out there. But now I got probably a possibly an entity that is so small that I can't even think of a budget within that falls within the confines of what they are planning. Previously, the parent company, with the parent company, what they were a part of, they were running, you know, tier one ERPs, but that's not going to work for them. That's, that's a, they're a small cover. They can't afford the licenses. They can't afford um, the engineering tools that they're using. So we have to find equivalent but cheaper options for them. And you know what the answer to that is? There are options. They are out there. They are out there. And I'm right now planning an ERP rollout, which is a new one for me. For me, ERP rollout plan, the moment that phrase comes into my head is usually two years because I've been doing SAP forever. But I'm doing an ERP rollout in eight weeks. End, end to end, ERP rollout in eight weeks. Well, you know, we talk about digital transformation and that encompasses quite a lot. Of course, at Profit from ERP, we concentrate on the ERP part of that. We've been doing that for a long time. And, and when it comes to, to yep. doing what we used to call component ERP back in 2014, that's when we started using some of these cloud products to be able to be the backbone and go out and find they what's don't. the best operational software out there. And it's too cloud-based, so we can tie them all together and then we have best of breed. I mean, at the end of the day, look at it this way. What do they need to do the very best serve their customers? Period. That is the reason for their being, whether they are a 300 people company or they are a thousand people company or a 10,000 people company. That's the reason they exist is serve their customers the best way possible. And I am literally designing entire application suite around that principle. How can they respond to their customer the fastest and the best way possible? And remember, I use the word respond, not react. And it is, I'm telling you, I mean, uh, right now the projects are just getting started for me. And I've gone through about three days or four days worth of workshops. But what we are gonna come out with on the other end is gonna be a true digital enterprise which is going to be which is going to be future proof out to 10 years at least and the best part is we are not spending a whole lot so if 5 years down the line there was something that was 10 times better hey you know what let's change over it's not like you 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 put put in like 100 million dollars that you got to go and explain to a board of directors why you put in 100 million and why you're trying to write it off which usually ends up, you know, ending careers of many a CIO. I mean, we've got so many legacy systems that were so expensive back in the day and, and people have said, hey, this is good enough. We don't need to go further. I was listening to a, um, a customer that uh, uh, they acquired another company that was on uh, Great Plains and they were on NetSuite. 
They combined these two companies with five times the number of transactions that they used to have, three times the, the um, annual revenue. But they didn't have to add any people because the new NetSuite systems do so much more. It's The way the guy explained it, he said, this is just not like anything else, any other software I've ever used. And people don't understand that difference if they're using these older legacy systems. There's a lot of drag there. Absolutely. I mean, any application ecosystem that we have today, for the most part, I'm not talking about the recent startups, which are purely digital, but any others that have been around for a decade, two decades, or even more, they have three layers of applications, the legacy, the ERP, and then their version of a cloud-based digital uh, presence that they want. Three layers. Question is, with layering, we need to become more reliant on the data transaction. API calls get us the data. Now, how do we get it get it out of the application layers with the API only. There are many cool, many really good tools out there. For an example, we form a data layer that is continuously fed either from the legacy system of record. Remember, I'm saying system of record for a very specific reason I'll explain in a minute, or the ERP system of record. And we have created the data layer in between the first two layers and the digital layer. This data layer effectively is saying, okay, don't worry about the integrations now into the ERP or into the legacy layers. You got the data, send your API calls and consume them. So your digital systems start moving. Step two, once your digital step, uh, systems have started moving, now you look at your entire applications landscape below that data, uh, digital data layer and say, okay, should I stop? start or continue these applications? What should I do with these now? Of course, they are today the transactional systems. They are the legacy, the transactions might happen in a legacy system, transactions may happen in an ERP system. But the, the point is you come up with a strategy by which you start moving workloads out of the legacy, either into the ERP or into the digital space. Slowly, you get to a point where you don't need the legacy anymore. And basically, what you have is a ERP backbone that is too expensive to get rid of, for an example. But it is, it is the system of record. And all you do is basic transactions on it. But anything digital is happening above it, above the digital layer, because all, the, all digital applications need is data with API calls. And that's available in the digital layer. And here we go. We are off to the races again. This is the strategy that I'm working with, with multitude of companies right now who are feeling ex completely trapped because they don't know what to write off. They don't, know how, they don't know how to approach the next step. They have entire teams of people who are spending 70 to 80 hours of their time on production support. And it's like, guys, what, why would you get into this business at all? First things first, let's get rid of this production support concept completely and give it to somebody who does that for a living from a nice, uh, you know, nice secure center in some low-cost location. And let's not even count people. Let's just call it an outcome-based service. Now, 
I'm not stopping over there. I even take it to the next step and is I incentivize that particular vendor to say, okay, I'm giving you 500 legacy systems. I want you to retire all of them as part of your contract over the next three years, five years, whatever you come up with a schedule on. And I incentivize them by saying, I know this reduces your footprint, but every time you reduce your footprint, the project that needs to happen to move the workload is yours to come, yours to execute on. And that keeps them going and that keeps them incentivized. And that's what we do. Now, the moment I've moved all that entire support work out into the, uh, the vendor space who do that for a living, for an example, I have freed up my people who know the IT systems and know the business. I call them level threes. I have freed them up to think forward. Where is the company heading? What, do, what does our applications landscape needs to look like tomorrow, two years from now, five years from now? How do we best relate to the, our customers? I literally see a vision right now, and I think it is going to come to pass, is while IT as a department may still be identified, but it will become a matrix directly into the business. So that I, I, IT is not a overhead anymore. It is a natural extension of the business and it is a part of the business expense or not even expense. I would call it a strategic investment on each line of business that is there within an enterprise. Something else um, that, that I was writing a paper for IT Central Station uh, earlier in the week. And one of the things is, is when an ERP project is assigned to IT to own the project and, and get this put in. It's a bad situation in that you need everybody in the uh, enterprise working on an enterprise system. And I would think even more so when it comes to digital transformation. And, and the inverse of that is... When it comes to uh, when it comes to strategic planning, you need IT at that table. You need IT to become not just a guy that you run to for help with a, a system when you don't know how to do something, but they need to be strategic partners in how are we going to apply technology to reach our customers better, to serve our customers better, to help interact with them where they are in a way they want to be interacted with and, and come up with ways to actually get the business done, to become partners in business rather than just people who maintain our laptops for us and our network. Yeah, yeah absolutely it does. It absolutely does. Whenever we are planning any system, such as an ERP, while there should be a, I would say, a heavy participation from the business, IT will provide the framework that allows you to maintain a discipline that IT alone understands in terms of release processes and all the ITIL processes, right? But the ownership of the system, or ownership of the business system is always with the business. But there are two aspects to it that we need to be very clear about. Business should always know that this system is here to empower me. While IT is providing the framework of managing the releases, 
making sure that all the uh, policies and procedures are being followed, that we are able to withstand any level of audit that comes our way. We are able to maintain the quality of the releases that are going out there, so nothing in production breaks when you get to it. You can't assign those kind of duties over to the business because they don't have experience with it, nor do they have that discipline. And that's where, that's, that's where IT continues owning it. Remember, at the end of the day, when somebody comes and tells me, hey, IT cost is too high, and I'm looking at the guy and I'm waiting for the light to come on, and I'm like, okay, light hasn't come on, so let me explain. I'm not doing this for my happiness or for my joy. I'm, I'm doing this because the business needs it. Now, you, you don't like the cost of it. I, you know what I normally do when I get asked such a question? I lay down the costs exactly where the principal areas of costs are, which systems and how many people are adding up to that cost. And I give it to the person or the leader who's asked me that question. I say, okay, cut out whatever you want to. And then send an email out to everyone saying you've cut these services and that's why certain systems will be shut down and certain service levels will drop. End of story. Because if the business doesn't want it or doesn't want the considers IT as a black hole or something, you know what? Let's open it up and make it completely transparent to the business what it is that they are using and what are they getting out of it. You know, the more they understand, the better it is because Gone are the days where, you know, CIOs would sit in a corner with their little team and try to strategize. It's like, no, 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 you can't strategize alone. Rather, you need to be at the table with the entire C-suite strategizing and then bring that back into a IT strategy that feeds into the business strategy. I keep repeating it. This is a basic fundamental. The Most, most of the, what I would call, um, old-fashioned uh, mindsets out there where the CIO is not at the table, is, re is reporting into somebody, some other C-level, basically that entire conversation is lost. That entire contribution to the strategy at the table is lost because nobody has a view of it. And I, and I think this is where we get back into the discussion of the transition. You know, you look at these new upcoming uh, e-companies and things like that. I mean, take, for example, Uber. Do you think Uber is structured as a bunch of business people with an IT department, or is it more like a company that operates with technology to get everything that they do done? I mean, that's a whole different mindset looking at it. And so many companies right now are so siloed into these different departments and, and that, that way of looking at things. They let, they let the Ubers come up, and I, I can imagine taxi drivers in New York City driving around going, you know, an app for to get a ride. I don't, I got your stinking app right here. But next thing you know, their taxi medallion is not worth a lot of money because Ubers come along and replaced all of them together. And in, in today's changing environment where we got the business upheavals one side and down the other, people need to start thinking, how do I transition into this digital environment where yep. I can compete, I can grow? Absolutely. I mean, in today's world, there is no such thing as an IT system. It is a business system that is run by people with very specific skills that are called IT skills. That's about it. But they are a part of the business. 
And you know, this this mindset is just some the companies who have gotten it are moving. Oh man, they are moving fast. The companies who don't get it, um, I guess you know they they're all going to have their Kodak I, moments very soon. I saw an article on Kodak last week. They're uh, getting into a new business. Whatever it is, it's not film. Like it. Well, it was fun to watch them go up and come all the way back down because I think it was, yeah, it was that was a strange. Well, one thing I want to make sure and hit on: uh, when we first started the series on, on digital transformation, there were two types of companies. One that that embraced digital and were making changes and were very successful uh, managing some of the changes with COVID. And then there were folks that were hesitant, that were waiting to see what's going to happen, that we're going to hold on to their cash. You know, as, as that's why I like all these specific stories because people can get a handle on what digital transformation could possibly mean for their business going forward. What are the projects that get you really excited in digital transformation? So for me, the excitement starts by from the point that I can get somebody to understand what digital actually means. I usually walk into a room and the transformation begins from the first sentence that is exchanged. And that is digital is not about IT, it's about people, process, and then technology. But once once that message has landed, I have done some real exciting stuff. For an example, I went in and I said, okay, our entire method of working for a $140 million portfolio of projects is waterfall. What if I brought you back, and I promised only 10%, which was 14 million in savings. And out of the 14 million that I was gonna save, I wanted them to spend 3 million to train everybody, both on the business side and the IT side who were involved in those projects, which totaled out to about 300 people in agile or safe agile methodology. If we did that, we, spent $3 million and a lot of hours because they, you know, the day job doesn't go away while you're training up, right? But then at the, at the end of those three months, we force changed, I would say about 50% of the projects to Agile from Waterfall. It wasn't easy, a lot of complaining. And then once we got the Agile train moving and they really, then that's when the, you know, the lights came on saying, oh man, I'm not waiting three months to go show something. I'm meeting my customer every day. I'm having stand-up meetings with them. And then we moved further into the portfolio and converted a bunch of other projects into Agile. Basically, we netted out that year with 20 million in savings because we are moving faster and delivering faster. Our entire thought process changed. That was one of the most exciting projects I've worked on. Another one would be, you know, where... We are building an extremely complex product. And we, uh, not a product, but a set of products. But we have 17, 17 ERP systems. And if a customer wants to come and buy uh, products from us, they have to buy, buy ERP systems. Oh, that's got to be a nightmare for the customer. Yes, because they are not able to place their, they will place their orders, but they will get billings from six ERPs because that's how it was set up. So we instead created a data obfuscation layer on top of the ERPs and created the billing above it and the ordering above it. Effectively, what we did was we took the 17 systems and it's the slowdown it caused for the customers out of the equation. 
All, all they saw was an order entry portal as part of the Salesforce schema that we had set up. And they were able to get their quotes, they were able to get their orders, and they were able to get their invoices. That's what we called it, a single customer, single invoice project. Took us six months, took a little bit of time, but net result was we had a data layer. This wasn't the only program that was going to benefit from that data layer. Data layer suddenly became the go-to place for everyone else. Nobody was thinking about multi-month integration efforts anymore. They knew where the data sets were. They simply had to make the calls to consumer. That's it. And when, when we finished that project, it was amazing. Then came the second challenge, was a CPQ or configure price quote. Now here, what is happening is if it's a simple product, it's easy enough to quote, but if it's, if it's a chiller or a um, you know, commercial air conditioning unit, or if it is a home air conditioning unit and so on, there are multitude of choices in which we, you can build that product. And that, that's where the configure price quote comes in. And we had been, uh, the team had been sitting and writing up black box code for years. And we took that, we could not throw the black box away, that was gonna be the phase two of the product uh, project. But we took that code and instead of pushing it out from multiple portals, we took it out and put it into Salesforce and allowed customers to come and build their products right there. We exposed it through Salesforce. Now, this, this, these kind of thinking, these kind of actions, you cannot take with old applications. These are the flexibilities of that digital tool that it's your imagination is your limit. I mean, how, how far can you go? You can go as far as, you know, your imagination takes you. Yeah, that, that sounds good. You know, a um, couple, of, couple of points about what, what you're talking about there. You're throwing out some big numbers. You're talking about 14 million and 20 million that you've saved for a, a specific company. And that's why the big companies spend the kind of money that they do because they see a lot of savings in it. But a lot of the mid-market guys don't have all the business analysts to understand how that savings can come about in their area, even if it's on a smaller scale. But sometimes we're just talking about building a simple app that allows your customer to interface with you better, that allows you to gather the data without you having to enter it yourself. It could be a simple app, something simple like that. So this is, this is the whole thing, right? I mean, we got apps for everything. We can use an app to order Starbucks coffee while we are driving and show up at the Starbucks with the coffee ready. I mean, now the drive-through is becoming faster. Had you ever imagined the drive-through would become faster? No. So same with McDonald's. You don't have to be in the drive-through. Now you've got a choice between going in or being in the drive-through. You've got a third choice, which is pick up. You can place your order on your McDonald's app and go park in there one or two or three, depending on the size, there are three uh, uh, parking spots over there. And the guy will come from inside and look for your car in the license plate and give you the, your order. Now, remember, this means a lot, especially in today's days, right? Uh, in the disruption we are facing, nothing wrong with the drive-throughs, but may, uh, many restaurants don't have those drive-throughs. They have gone into these uh, pickup locations now. I, I have even heard of uh, you know, there, is, there are two restaurants I like very much, but they have only single locations in Greater Phoenix. 
And they realized they were losing their clientele because most people would drive 30, 35 miles to go and sit down at their restaurant, right? And Uber doesn't go that far, neither does Lyft, neither does any of the other food apps. So they created an option whereby you can order what you want, only there's a slightly larger lag time, but they have opened up sub-locations in each cities which don't have a kitchen. They only store food. And they are literally, they, no, they are, they are asking them to go over there. So instead of going the 34 miles, now they can go the four miles and pick up their food, same food. This is the beauty of it. There is a single kitchen at the back end. But in the front end, I got 16 locations I can pick from. Oh, wow. That probably, probably saved the business, didn't it? I mean, the guys were looking, they were actually talking about going out of business, but they're back in business like you wouldn't believe. I mean, the restaurant business has had such a hard time. They have been shut down all over the place. They've had a hard time getting employees back to work because they were overpaid by uh, um, unemployment. I don't want to say overpaid, but they were paid more than they were normally making. So nobody wanted to go back to work. But essentially, it's kind of a just a supply chain operation. I mean, people are still eating, right? But if you look at all the food manufacturers, they are reporting having to change drastically in their manufacturing lines. Our food and beverage customers are, are saying, no longer are we doing these big tubs and totes and big packs for restaurants. We're having to do individual meals. We're having to do consumer sizes. We're having to do things that can be sold in a store. And to go back and retrofit all of those production lines and all of that packaging equipment has been a huge issue for those guys. But again, it comes down to supply, supply chain because the food is, is, is somewhere and the people are still eating somewhere just how do those restaurants bridge that gap? And the ones that can think outside of the box, it's not a restaurant problem, it's a supply chain problem. And once they solve that, they can basically stay in business. I mean, that's the message I'm taking to my client right now. It's like, what do you want to do? And they're like, oh, this system will cost, cost so much. I'm like, let's not worry about systems right now. What is it that you want to do? And if the answer is, this is what I want to do, then does it align with customer centricity? Now you got a thought process going with a very, very specific direction. Once that thought process is done, and this is what I keep referring to is like, put your considerations aside, zero-based thinking. There is nothing getting in your way. How would you do it? Put it down on paper. Now, open it up to a discussion with everybody. See, this is the other way of thinking is abundance. In the previ previous generation or previous age, we were not in the abundance mode at all. We were hiding, we were hoarding information. That's not the way things work in the digital world. It is, you need abundance. You need to share it out. Bring in every idea possible. Don't make fun of any idea. Greenhouse it. Build on somebody else's idea. Give them credit, take credit, whatever you want to do, but build it up slowly as a group. And believe me, when you do it as a group, net result is everyone's on board and you're off to the races. Now you've just opened up a whole new can of worms. I mean, 
I, I have been certified in probably 14 or 15 different ERP systems. I've worked with and worked against probably another 30 or 40. I know of, of dozens more after that if I need to go and research those and, and see where they fit. The question is, is if somebody sits there and says, ah, taking a look at technology would be too expensive, you don't even know what you're looking for yet. And there are so many new apps. One of the things that Profit from ERP really has to work at from our side is to keep evaluating the new apps that come out, to keep evaluating the new pieces that fit in around ERP, that connect to ERP. And I'm sure it's the rest of the, with the rest of technology. A company doesn't know what's possible until you start asking the questions, what do you want to do? And what is it worth to exactly. you? And then you go find the answer for them. This is where the, you know, we talked about the innovations, right? I'll give you the example. Where did this guy with the restaurant find 16 locations? Those 16 locations were defunct stores of somebody else who had not, he couldn't, they could not run their businesses because nobody was outside. They had to find some way to pay for that space that they were holding. Forget about the inventory and everything else. Just the space they are leasing. So we had a bright idea. It was three of us sitting together, and I said, okay, let's go and find, let's just put it out there that we are looking for, say, about 300 square feet of space per city. All we want is we will bring in a small refrigerated space, and we will park some food over there. How much will you charge us? That guy got great, amazing deals. But guess what? The best part is that food that was coveted by 16 different cities, uh, I'm sorry, people living in 16 different cities now is available to all of them. And those people who have not fully solved their problem, no, their problem did not get solved in terms of what to do with their lease space, but at least they solved portion of it. Now they're getting other ideas of what they can do with it. And so <laughs> I guess I'm wondering now, I think about all these different locations, all of this different food, the different menu items. Does that create a big demand generation supply type situation? Oh, that's already that. We already got that covered. We knew what we were doing in those terms, because if you look at the total amount of food being cooked prior to COVID coming in, it is the same. It is the same. The question is, now, either people are picking it up locally to the restaurant, which is about 20% of their business. The other 80% was coming from the other 15 towns, which was getting lost. Now we are picking that up as, the owner is picking that up as well. He's right now running at 80% of where he was in February. Okay, all right. So here, this is exactly what we've been talking about, right? The restaurant market's been hit hard. A lot of restaurants are not opening back up some of them ever. So that leaves this big hole in the market that somebody that has approached this from the digital perspective can now move in and yeah. capture even more market and, share. Uh, and he's aiming for even more. I mean, he wants to be at 150 now. He got the idea. He is now pushing it hard out on every local portal so everyone knows. Previously, he was not doing a whole lot of marketing in February. It was like, okay, people by word of mouth knew about his restaurant and food. But the concept of uh, fusion Indo-Chinese food is new to Phoenix. But Indians, Indians coming from India know it. So people would rush to his place. 
Now he's pushing that whole thing out in a marketing fashion to each city saying that, yeah, we will, you can come and pick it up locally and we will provide the food and this is the style of food. Now people are visiting his website to figure out more. So he's taken it to the next level. Let's take a quick break here and we're going to talk about taking your business to the next level. We'll be back to finish up with Bushan Parikh from Get Digital Velocity in 30 seconds. You know, it's kind of a call to action. You've heard several stories today of how digital transformation ranges from highly technical redeployment of IT architecture to simply rethinking how customer engagement works. Here's how profit from ERP fits into your picture. We talked earlier about how we work very diligently to keep up with business technology, everything that's new on the market, and we don't go it alone. Bouchon's Get Digital Velocity is one of our alliance partners. When we sit down with a prospective client, we ask some of these same questions. What is it you want to do? Where are you facing challenges? Have you tried to meet them? What's worked? What's changed? And from there, Profit from ERP designs a set of requirements with full input, of course, from you and, and your staff. And then once we've defined the requirements, it's a question of who helps with these types of challenges, these specific requirements. Do you need a fractional CIO like Bouchon to come in and help strategically restructure your IT approach to customers? Do you just need a new ERP tool to address a specific issue with the new way your business operates? And then, and only then, do we reach into our alliance partners for the right team for your solution. You need something that's affordable, effective, and achievable quickly. We're not in the world of 12 to 18 month rollouts anymore. You've heard some success stories today about other businesses. Let's get together and make a success story that's specific to your business tomorrow. Contact us at info at profitfromerp.com and we'll set up a discovery call at no charge and put together a custom approach to help drive business success. If you're only just trying to make ERP pay or go all the way to achieving full digital transformation, it's Profit from ERP. We're back with Bushan Parikh from Get Digital Velocity. Bushan, any last stories you want to throw into today's episode? I mean, I'll give you one last example before we finish. Um, we, are, we, are, we are hearing that a um, lot of retail stores are closing, right? So let's talk the big box retail stores that are closing and those buildings that were built specifically for those chains. They were, they were custom built. What are they going to do with those hundreds of store closed locations? Guess what? Amazon just went after them for the last mile delivery. And now those stores will still be gone, but it will become a, a, what I would call the staging area for Amazon Prime. Oh man, I always thought that uh, that old Sears store would make a, a, a wonderful nightclub. You could put a rock band in there and, and just pack the place to the house, but I guess we can't pack people uh, in, in, into closed spaces like that anymore anyway. That's all right. We, can, we, we could play the music to the Amazon guys while they're packaging, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess we could do that. <laughs> Well, anyway, I'd like to thank you so much for All appearing right. on uh, this week's episode of the ER Podcast. We, we've done three versions of, of uh, digital transformation here, and we hope the audience is beginning yeah. to get it and thank beginning you, to understand. And we look forward to helping them out in the future with it. And we look forward to you, Bushan, on an, another episode okay. of the ER Podcast coming soon to a podcast near you.